Welcome to the OG Advocates Podcast. Hey everyone, it's been a minute. This is Talia Coney with OG Advocates. I'm here with Megan Evans and Katie McHugh. I am here to talk with you guys with some amazing medical students. They're medical students who are in their fourth year who recently matched into the OBGYN programs. I'm here with Megan Sluga. She's currently in Arizona from Arizona and recently matched in an Arizona program. And also here with Ginny Hansen, who's from California, trained in a medical school in the East Coast and matched in the Midwest. Megan, do you wanna say a couple words? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So like Dr. Coney said, my name is Megan. I will be graduating with both my MD and my MPH degree in just a few short months, um, a soon-to-be OBGYN resident, and I am very interested in patient advocacy, uh, specifically as it relates to reproductive health. Awesome. Thank you. Jenny Hansen, do you want to say a couple words? Absolutely. I echo everything that Megan just said. I'm very excited and honored to be here with you guys today. And um, I am also graduating. I, um, you know, previously earned a master's before starting med school. So just a little bit out of order compared to Megan. And um, I am, you know, really open in terms of what I'm hoping to do with my career, but um, want to be as comprehensively and well-trained as possible. Awesome. Thank you. I just want to say first, congratulations for matching. I know it's a pretty tough process and every year it seems to get even tougher. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about your um, experience with the interview process um, for people out there who maybe are not in academia? Can you talk a little bit about whether or not it was in-person versus virtual, et cetera? Definitely. So this year, all of the uh, interviews were held virtually. Um, that was a national recommendation. And so all the programs that I interviewed with did follow that. Um, it was definitely a very competitive interview season, and I feel very lucky to be on the other side of it. Yeah, I will say it, it was virtual because of the, the pandemic, which made it very interesting and kind of tough to get a sense of um, like the, the culture of a program and made it really important to ask really good um, kind of insightful questions. Um, and, you know, there's definitely an argument for both sides in terms of in-person and virtual. Um, but like Megan said, I'm very excited to be in-person as a resident and kind of on the other side of that. And I want to, first of all, congratulations. Um, it's such, I remember my match day, which, you know, it feels like yesterday, but was longer than I will care to admit um, here. <laughs> but um, I'm curious, you know, when I was a, um, a medical student. I graduated in 2011 and I was told when I was applying that I should probably apply to 20 programs. And that was a stretch. And, you know, people were mostly applying between 15 to 20. I interviewed at 11 and I, I ranked 10. Um, and now the medical students are being told to apply to anywhere between 50 to 70 programs. And I was just at AFCO CREA, which is the national education meeting. And on average, OBGYN applicants are um, applying to 70 programs. So that means some people are applying to 50 and some people are applying to 90, 100 or more. Um, and I'm just curious, like what your counseling was and, and if you're okay sharing how many programs you apply to. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that I definitely discussed not only with mentors, but also current residents that um, had just matched last year. Um, as far as 
what I was advised to do based on my board scores research, um, kind of my resume, um, was to apply to 30 to 40 programs. And I did end up applying to more. I applied to 50. Um, and yeah, and come to find out the average was 70. So I was actually really surprised by that number. Kudos to you, Megan. I um, am uh, definitely on the anxious side and um, maybe lacking in self-confidence. And so, um, you know, based on kind of the advice that I was given, board scores, research, um, and the fact that I was coming from a slightly newer medical school, um, you know, we were advised to kind of apply on the higher end. Um, I will say I was also not limited geographically in terms of like my interests. And so, you know, that can just kind of adds up if you're kind of doing like a kind of multiple different kinds of programs in multiple different regions. Um, and so I uh, definitely exceeded the average, not by much. Um, but, um, you know, not a way in which I like to be above average, that's for sure. <laughs> for those who are far out from applying to residency, and, and even I don't remember now, do you have to apply, like, is it every single program you apply to, it's a dollar amount, or is it like lump sums, depending on how many you apply to? It's an escalating dollar amount. Um, the more you apply to the, like, it's kind of like, for the first 30, it's a base amount, and then for 30 to 50, it's a little bit more. And for 50 and up, it's a little bit more. Um, so it, it definitely gets more expensive and kind of incentivizes you to apply to fewer, but also kind of creates a, a little bit of like an, inequ an inequity for people that, you know, can't afford to apply to, you know, just an excessive number. Um, so yeah, definitely an issue there. Jenny, that's such a good, um, that's such a good thought about that inequity. And I always thought that when, um, when students had to travel everywhere, it was the same thing. People with kids, people with, you know, financials, um, restrictions, et cetera. I always was astounded at the amount of money that people spent traveling, but it sounds like that money has really just shifted over to applying to more and more programs now with the virtual model. Absolutely. I don't think I spent quite as much money on a application, like virtual applications as I would have on like actual travel. Cause that really would have added up with hotels and flights and, and everything. Um, but absolutely that cost is definitely shifting towards just applying to more programs. Yeah. You know, a hundred percent. I think that, you know, that's been discussed not only in OBGYN, but in other fields about that inequity and, and also the fact that, you know, when you do virtual interviewing, you could interview at a West Coast program in the morning and an East Coast program was I probably reverse, you know, East Coast in the morning, West Coast in the afternoon. Um, and, you know, you would never be able to do that really um, when you're traveling in person. And, you know, I'm wondering now that you guys are matched, you, your contracts are on the way. Um, looking back, do you think that you needed to apply to that many programs? I think that if I um, kind of comb, like if I went through my list a little bit more with a fine tooth comb um, and was really like, okay, you know, do I actually envision myself here or am I applying here, you know, as like my just in case, um, then I probably would have been able to get a few more off of my list. Um, but it was, um, you know, kind of a worst case scenario. Like what, what if, what if, um, you know, we don't know what this cycle is going to look like because it's the sec only the second time with virtual interviews and we don't, we don't know, we just don't know. Um, and so it's, you know, hindsight is 2020. Um, I definitely should have applied to fewer programs. Um, and I think if I'd had a little bit more time, I 
I very much front loaded my fourth year schedule. And so I was, you know, really busy on sub eyes um, while I was going through the application progress process. And I think it's kind of the saying, you know, never go into a grocery store hungry because um, your cart just gets like so, so full. And that was maybe a little bit me going through ERAS. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this program, this program, this program. Um, but, you know, it definitely should have been a, a little bit more selective. I actually have a different perspective from Jenny. Uh, looking back, I would have definitely applied to a few more programs. I think that applying to 50 as, a as opposed to closer to 70 might have put me at a disadvantage. And I definitely did not get as many interviews as I would have liked um, to make me feel comfortable going into match day. What do you counseled on as how many places you should have interviewed at? I was told that double digits, uh, so at least 10, would put me in a comfortable position for match day. I was counseled the same and fortunately had that number. I'm not sure whether I would have had that number if I'd applied to fewer. I think that I did receive a couple of interviews that um, from places that you know might not have made the final cut and you know we're certainly at the bottom of my list if I'd gone through with more of a fine tooth comb. So Megan and Katie and I were in the uh, group that had to go to all of our interviews. Um, and so there came a point where either you ran out of money or you got loans. Um, and so for me, I got loans when I ran out of money. Um, and so I was wondering with applying to 30 and 70 schools, if you had to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that if uh, myself or my peers had to travel for all of the interviews that we had, that we definitely would have had to take out more loans or more funding um, and incorporate that into our, our budget for fourth year of med school. Um, and that, that being said, medical school is already so expensive. So I can't, I can't imagine having added those expenses into it. I'm wondering whether or not those individuals that say had 25 interviews that were virtual would have still done all 25 compared to, you know, got rid of 10 or five, which would allow open spaces for others. So that's the one thing I think about when it comes to virtual interviews is it allows some applicants who, you know, are stellar applicants or just got lucky in the application process to be able to maybe take those 30 interviews, when, but in reality, they theoretically wouldn't be able to do those interviews if, in person um, because of time constraints. I wonder that too. And, you know, I think that up to a certain number, OBGYN applicants and really any applicant would have kind of gone to the, a certain number of uh, interviews just to kind of be on the safe side because you know, the stakes are high. And I think that we really saw that, um, you know, um, a week ago when the did you match emails were released and it, OBGYN was rough. Um, and I feel very grateful to have matched. Um, but I, I, you know, I agree with what you said that, you know, the applicants with just a boatload of interviews, I don't think that they would have gone to, you know, 25, 30 interviews and that that kind of would have given more interviews to people that maybe had significantly fewer um, and maybe increased or decreased the number of people that didn't match um, that applied OBGYN, so yeah. And after talking to several of my peers who did hold on to probably more interviews than they should have, um, looking back, they'll also admit that there were programs that they interviewed with and accepted and held on to that interview that they weren't seriously interested in in the end, but they held on to it because there was so much anxiety about not matching this year. Aside from the cost perspective, 
What are some of the other benefits from the virtual interviews? What are things that you gleaned about the program or learned about the environment that you think was a benefit as opposed to in-person interviews? So one of my favorite things to observe during the virtual interviews, and this was specifically during kind of the pre-interview socials, was how the residency programs approached that. And I absolutely loved when I watched residents physically gather together. Um, that just made such a huge difference. And I, I just felt a difference between the programs that kind of where residents chose to do that and chose to get together and like do this interview social um, together versus those that kind of all went home separately and just did it by themselves. Um, and I feel like that kind of intangible vibe really spilled over into the actual interview day. I'm curious what you, what sort of research you did before your interviews too, like where, what did you look at? You know, obviously we have our program websites, but a lot of programs are on social media. Um, and yeah, I'm just, you know, want to know how you got your information. Everything you just mentioned um, was all over every single page of the website. And I kind of felt like I had a team and like recruited my mom, honestly. And I was like, you know, let's tag team this. Um, and then also all over the Instagram pages. And I, you know, it seems like OBGYN might be like singular in this regard, but like OBGYN Instagrams are fire. Um, and they, they were so helpful and I love them. And you really get kind of a sense of the program and you can see the community that exists at a program kind of through their, their Instagram. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. And the, um, Megan, help me out. What was the name of like the showcase week? Yeah, I was just going to look it up actually on my feed because they just posted everyone's match results too. And so it was definitely a really valuable resource. There's the virtual OBGYN Instagram page that kind of where programs can like sign up for a day and they do like a day in the life in this program. And then there's also the like ACOG showcase week where every single program, it's kind of a, like a nationwide week where every program just kind of features like different aspects of their program throughout the week. Um, and so I followed and took screenshots of like all of that content. My phone is just filled with that during the month of August. Yeah, we signed up for that. And um, I thought it was great, you know, another way to showcase your program and, and maybe reach applicants that might not have been looking at your program too. So I, I think, you know, I agree. I think OBGYN is kind of leading the charge and a lot of this creativity, especially around COVID. Yeah, the, the only other thing I would add to that, I was definitely following everyone on social media and the daily takeovers were very informative um, for getting some insight into the individual programs. But the other thing I participated in was before Eris was due, when we were still compiling our um, application list, there, was, there were virtual open houses that several programs held. Um, they were just basically Zoom meet and greets where they did a program interview, and then you had the opportunity to ask some questions with the residents and faculty, um, and those were also helpful. I agree. Having interview invites all sent out on the same day is much more manageable, in my opinion, than having it spread out over several weeks to months. Um, I would have liked to see more programs actually um, holds to that date because I did have interview offers that kind of trickled in after that date. And so not as many came in on the day of, as I was hoping for, but they continued to kind of come in the following days. And then having that second date where we programs had to 
give decisions on whether you were offered an interview um, or rejected um, or placed on the wait list. That was also, also really nice to have. If I can add one thing, maybe for any program director that wants to take my advice, um, but like sharing the days on which you're planning on having interviews beforehand, I had a master calendar of all of the programs that I applied to that um, had that information. And so that I could see it was like, oh, like this day has a bajillion interviews that are potentially being offered. But, you know, this program that I'm also interested in, like is only being on one day. And so it made it easier, like, oh, if I do get an interview at this program, do it on the day where there are no other potential interviews that might eventually conflict. Um, and so just kind of, it made it a little bit less stressful and made me feel slightly more in control, even though I actually wasn't. Yeah, that's a great idea. I think so, one, oh, no, sorry. no, you go, you go. I think that one thing that you said, Jenny, that like, um, struck me was one, that the way they're doing it now is less stressful for medical students, which I totally agree. But also you mentioned the word respect as well, which I think it's such, it, it just shows a, a, how they are hopefully valuing you guys in this interview process compared to previously, because it was a stressful month or month and a half of trying to ensure that everyone you knew that was a family member was constantly looking at your phone so you can get an interview date because I missed out on interviews and programs that I would have been interested in going on just because I was an OR case or I was sleeping you know so I, I think that it's super important I'm very happy that the way they're doing it now is, is showing a level of respect for medical students in this process. I agree. And I think um, kind of taking the next step forward, um, many programs, even though all interview invites were released on the same day, programs use all different um, types of platforms to offer those interview invites. And so we had to keep track of our calendar on ARIS because some of them were accepted through ARIS. And then some programs used, used Thalamus. And you know, then you had to keep track of what interviews were through the Thalamus. And then some used just Zoom. And so um, just kind of choosing a platform that maybe all OBGYN programs want to use when it comes to accepting those interview invites and scheduling those would be very helpful moving forward. Yeah, that's a great idea. We use Thalamus um, ourselves and, and really like it. I wonder if they're moving more towards one program, probably next, next year when we get the updates. Um, so I can tell you what it's like on the other side um, as a program director, and I would love to hear what your solutions are for both parties. So our program has five spots a year, and this past cycle, we received more applications than we ever have before, um, probably 150 more than the year prior. And so we received 1,200 plus applications for five spots. We were able to download the all the applications at the end of September, and because of the commitment that we made to send out the interview invites on the same day, we had less than three weeks to review 1,200 applications to send out 90 invitations. And, you know, it's hard because we want to do a holistic review where numbers aren't everything, but it is literally impossible to go through that many applications and really give an application the quality that it deserves. How much time did you put into your application, right? Hours and hours, right? So it's really challenging. And I don't know, I mean, I think some of the things that I'm gonna tell you about are, are potential solution, but like what I have to do is I have to whittle it down to half of that number, 500 to 600 applications. And then I, I try to get it down to 400, but even that's hard. 
And then I divide it amongst faculty and residents who will review applications. And then I give them the impossible task of taking 40 applications and telling me four people that they want to interview. And, you know, you imagine that you miss out on applicants that are outstanding and would be such a great addition to your program, but there is no other way. To, I'd love to hear a program who had found a, a more efficient way to do it. Um, so what do you, when you think about this application cycle and you have friends who I'm sure weren't happy with the match or potentially didn't match, I mean, what do you think are your solutions to kind of this problem on both sides? And it's okay if you don't have an answer. <laughs> I think it has to start with limiting the number of applications that medical students can send out in the first place. Um, Cause I think Jenny kind of alluded to it alluded to it earlier that um, if we're sending out, you know, 70 applications on average um, have, you know, you have to ask yourself, did I really take the time to go through all 70 of those programs? And do I really see myself at all 70 of those programs? Because I think a lot of the, you know, whittling down can happen on our end um, to, to save you guys uh, some of the trouble of going through so many applications, because in reality, you know, do all of those students really feel strongly about attending your program? Probably not. Are there any other um, specialties that limit the number of applications you can send out? Not that I know of. I don't really know. I know that surgery this year was, I think they were piloting like a signaling mm -hmm. feature. And so whether that's a way, I don't, you know, I don't, without limiting the number of applications that a program gets, this doesn't necessarily solve that problem. But if, if a program like, you know, maybe more holistically reviews those that kind of signal as like a significant interest. Um, you know, it's going to be another stressor on the medical student to really decide like, which ones do I really want to signal? Um, and, you know, do I signal my, my reaches or do I signal my targets? Um, but I think that will, you know, hopefully bring about some more thoughtful um, kind of review of programs and, maybe that will also prompt people to like whittle their lists a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think bottom line is we just need to apply to um, fewer programs. What a great transition. So I can tell you <laughs> what's coming for next year. So all interviews next year for OBGYN will be virtual. That's the recommendation. Um, the, will it be able to download applications October 1st and all interview offers will go out October 24th. So same idea. We get a couple more days to review applications than last year. Um, and then same idea. There's a minimum of 48 hours that allows applicants to accept or decline. And then there will be no interviews prior to October 31st. I say, you know, this all in black and white, but um, most programs I think are opting into this recommendation. Okay. So this is what's new. So applicants and residency programs can opt into this. It's not required, but it's called an alignment check index. So applicants will do a self-assessment of what's important to them for residency programs. And a residency program will say what their priorities are. And so those, you'll plug in your numbers and the residency program will plug in their numbers. And then you'll, as an applicant, get to see what programs you align with. And so there's six categories. There's academic metrics, work experience, community service and advocacy, research experience, teaching experience, background and lived experience. So of those six, the program, like I would put in for us, how many points I would give each category. So, you know, I might do a pretty even distribution or I might say, you know, 
academic metrics are 40, community service is 30, and then everything else I just change. And you guys would put in yours and then you would plug it in and see what your what programs you align with. And then we're also doing signaling. So the signaling system is where you would get three gold signals and 15 silver signals. So you have to give your signal before you send the application. So it's not after the applications go out or after if you don't get an interview, you can send them a signal. It's before you send in your applications or when you go to send them. And so then a gold is that you're really interested in the program and a silver is that you're interested, but it's not one of your golds. Um, I also cannot see what your um, self-assessment of your alignment check index was. So that is anonymous. So I, I won't be able to see that as a program director, but I'll see if you signal my program. So the hard part is, is that applicants have to opt in. So if you decide to not do it and I don't get a signal from you, I don't know if it's because you didn't do it or because you're not interested. So I think it's a great idea. Um, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. So the, the alignment thing that you talked about, Dr. Evans, sounds very similar to the Altus Duo um, kind of assessment. And um, that's super interesting. I'm really glad I'm not applying this cycle <laughs> um, just because you know, there's a lot of change and you know, how, do, how do fourth years um, get advised this year in terms of what they should and shouldn't do. Um, I, I think that it will help in terms of really focusing on programs that you do align with. And you know, that's, a, that's a perfect use of the word. Um, I, at the same time, wonder if you as a program director can't see how well the alignment and fit is, whether an applicant is going to be like, eh, I'll, I'll still apply just because it'll be an interview. And you know, it's better to have an interview than to not have any. You know, is, is an interview where you aren't as well aligned better than no interviews at all? Um, someone with a quarter million dollars of debt is probably gonna say yes. Um, <laughs> So I, I think it's super interesting. And the, the signaling with three gold and 15 silver, um, man, you got to choose those gold ones really wisely because um, that is, um, that requires a lot of thought and kind of terrifying. Yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely going to require uh, applicants to make some really difficult decisions up front. That being said, I think it's definitely going to push the application and interview process in the right direction. Because I think we saw these, especially this last year, that you know there there are problems with the current the current system, and and so I think it is a step in the right direction. The other thing I wanted to say was that um, it does sound very similar to the Altus Duo assessment. I think what's interesting is that this last year for the programs that did participate in that they got to see how we ranked our own values and what our priorities were. I, I, was nev I never received from programs what their priorities were. And so I think having that be kind of like a two-way communication would be really valuable in figuring out how, not only you know, how you align with a program, but you know, vice versa. If I can follow up really quickly, the, I recently received kind of one of those surveys asking about how, how helpful I thought that Altus was, and I was, you know, I did it several, several months ago, but one of my kind of issues with it was it felt like it made things very black and white. It's like, you either value this or you value this, you value this or you value this. I agree. For those of us who or for those of you who didn't participate in the Altus Duo, Duo assessment, what it really asked you to do is pick, you know, work-life balance versus quality of education. And I think 
asking residents to choose one or the other is, you know, very problematic. It, it shouldn't be a choice, um, you know, having to choose your personal wellness over the quality of your education. I agree. It should totally be a scale. I think the, the scaling of your interests is very interesting. And I think it has the potential to make some really powerful connections, but it also has the potential to make some echo chambers and to really hyper-focus people of the same mindset in the same places instead of encouraging diversity. I'm sure I'm not the first one to have this thought, but it concerns me from a perspective of gathering different people and learning from lots of people in lots of different ways, not only from your attendings and different perspectives from, from a medical take, but also just your co-residents and your, you know, your work family, how that um, impacts your education and your, your learning experience. So interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm also interested to see how program directors rank or value some of those, um, I don't know, qualifications or what are the, how they rank those values. Cause I feel like program directors may have a very different idea of their program than the actual residents that are in their program. And so they may say they value diversity and value wellness or value whatever those, those, those values are and rank them highly, but it may not really translate when a resident is in their program. I agree. When setting those, those qualities and making those rankings, I think it should probably be a sampling where you pull the residents and pull the faculty um, so that you get all those, um, that all that input and all those opinions so that you kind of get a more truer um, reflection of the program itself. I would be really interested to see kind of exactly what Megan just mentioned, like compare the sampling method versus what the program director comes up with and are they the same? I think that would just be fascinating. So this has been a very interesting year to interview for many reasons. Um, but one of the big reasons is because of the case that was at the Supreme Court that will get decided on in June, um, which could, in, in its essence, um, overturn Roe and ensure that many women are going to go unprotected without the rights to have full spectrum women's health care, including abortion care. During your interview process, was this something that you guys thought about? Yeah, absolutely. As um, not only an OBGYN residency applicant, but also someone who personally just supports the right to choose, you know, the status of Roe was something that I definitely followed very closely throughout the, the interview process, but also the application process. Um, and it's, you know, it's very important to me that abortion care is integrated into my residency training. Um, and I know that I'm not alone in that belief and it was definitely evident on the interview trail that it was something that was in the forefront of the minds of many of the other applicants as well. Um, not only was abortion training brought up in every residency like interview Q&A session, but also the status of state legislation as it impacts access to abortion care and therefore abortion training. That was something that was also talked about a lot. Definitely echo everything that Megan said and kind of taking it back, not just from the interview process, but also you know taking it, taking it all the way back to the application process. As an applicant, like I said, I was considering most geographic regions of the country and the timing of SB8 being before ERAS was due and kind of other anti-choice legislation prompted me to remove programs in Southern states. And I just did not apply to the South. Um, and you know, especially 
Texas. And there, there are great programs in many of those states. And I was just like, not interested. Um, and so, you know, if you looked at my list, it would be predominantly kind of blue states, maybe a couple purple. Additionally, you know, the, the Southern states would have been the furthest from my family. So it really was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I also reached out to a friend that is currently uh, an intern in Texas. And he said he was having a really tough time and, you know, feeling like he was able to provide care for his patients, but also able to learn like a fundamentally like critical component of practicing like full spectrum obstetrics and gynecology. Um, so in, in terms of the actual interview process, if a program did not specifically address it in their kind of introduction, then I specifically asked about it. And I had friends that also did that and where that was like their leading question. It was like every interviewer that asked, what questions do you have for me? It was, at what point do you expect, you know, at what gestational age do you expect residents to feel like comfortable at the end of their training in providing an abortion? And that was her question. And I was like, boss, I'm stealing it. <laughs> I am in Indiana. And so your description, um, I empathize with, it breaks my heart and I like, so empathized with it. Um, I have a really hard time convincing people to come here when you know that your patients aren't going to get good. Well, not good care. I shouldn't say that, but you know, that your patient's care options will be restricted. And you know, that you as a provider and as a physician will have your hands tied behind your back, trying to take care of your people. I mean, it is just, um, it's really heartbreaking for all the reasons. And, um, so I am glad that you're able to talk about that. Cause I think that that experience and that, um, that reflection is so important for us for, from not only from a recruiting standpoint, but also just a patient care aspect. It's that's so good. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's interesting that Jenny brought up Texas specifically, because I also did exclude programs that were located in states where abortion access um, was extremely limited due to state legislation, including Texas. Um, unfortunately, like after submitting applications, you know, the sad reality is that there's so many of those states that have now followed suit. And so, you know, I, I'm going to find myself training in one of the states that, you know, has proposed sim similar legislation. And so I think it's something that is definitely really important for OBGYN residents to recognize. And I think that it's important for them to educate themselves about the issue and where they're training. Um, Cause I think that they have this unique responsibility um, to advocate for, you know, comprehensive reproductive health services for their patients, for sure. Yeah. You know, I, we talked at a national meeting about, and I mentioned this to a large group that this is going to change what training looks like in some parts of the country, because there are applicants that are not going to come and there are faculty members that are not going to come. And that includes, you know, anti-trans legislation, you know, anti-gay legislation, like that has consequences and ripple effects. And that's going to change what healthcare looks like. And it, it's going to change what healthcare looks like, you know, if Roe is overturned in this country and it's scary. And you know, you think about the island that's going to be Illinois in the middle of the country and New Mexico and these places where people, we're already seeing it, right? In Texas have to travel hundreds of miles, spend thousands of dollars. It's and the inequities. I mean, we're talking about inequities for applications. The inequities for patient care is profound. What upsets me, a lot of things upset me about this, but one thing um, at a most recent 
gathering or meeting that I was in, I recognized that some individuals who are in those states that have longstanding history of um, state legislation that has tried to take away the woman's rights to choose an abortion rights, some of them feel as though there wouldn't be a significant change in the faculty that they get or the residents that they get because theoretically it hasn't changed in the last 10 years. And so I don't know, I, I haven't lived in some of those states. I, I live in one of those states now, but beforehand I wasn't in a very, um, a state that's very much attacking um, women's rights to choose. So I'm interested in, in, in that perspective and kind of seeing what's gonna happen. Cause I feel like when I lived out in the East coast, it was obviously a very blue zone, very, you know, lots of people with common ideas and ideologies, but in a lot of these States that are red States or slightly purple, a lot of those individuals have lived in those, those environments for so long. And for them, this is normal. I would like to thank soon to be Dr. Hansen and Dr. Sluga for joining us tonight to have this very interesting and thoughtful conversation regarding the OBGYN um, residency interview process, as well as um, the unfortunate um, possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned and how that would affect their training. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for having us. Thank you so much for having us, but also for encouraging conversations about these topics. I think it's so important moving forward. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. If you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review and tell your friends and colleagues to check us out and subscribe. See you next time.